Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let us double back on something we discussed in this hour of the program yesterday. And and let, let us talk about what we can do moving forward. I think everybody, regardless of where you are, on the left or the right or in the center, look at what happened on Walk in Waukesha on Sunday as an absolute failure of the justice system. I don't think anybody could argue that the guy who is allegedly responsible for this, this Daryl Brooks, a career criminal who has been committing crimes for, well, almost his entire life, there is no way in God's green earth that he should have been out on bail. Now, don't take it from me. The district attorney in Milwaukee County understands and acknowledges that the bail recommendation was in. Per correct. So we, we know that this is a failure. The thing that makes it even more stunning is the fact that apparently the guy had a warrant out for his apprehension from Nevada and that nobody picked it up. Nobody realized that, uh, first of all, he, he shouldn't have been out. You, you look at all the different crimes that he committed, and it, there's no way he should have been released on a $1,000 bail. But once you find out that there's another jurisdiction that has a felony warrant for him, at the very least, they should put a detainer on him, holding him for that other jurisdiction should they want to pick him up. But but that the whole thing fell through the cracks, and now as a result of this, you have five people dead and 40-plus people injured. And th- there's no, you cannot argue this. Now, the point I just made with Tracy and the point I try to make regularly on this is this, this is, it is not an aberration. This stuff happens on a daily basis around here. Now, it doesn't get the attention that this case gets because most of the people who are released on ridiculously low bails, while many of them will go out and commit crimes, it's not a crime that's going to attract national attention. There but for the grace of God, the guy that's out on the ridiculously low bail doesn't I don't know, drive through a Christmas parade, and thankfully, you know, we don't have this happen very often. But but crimes are being committed on a regular basis, and it's much worse than you think because when it comes to juvenile criminals, their arrest records and the dispositions of their cases are kept secret. They are hidden from the public. So we don't know. When you hear that story about the 13-year-old, for example, who in the process of stealing a car at the Holiday Inn Express about by Mayfair and who decides to murder, yes, murder, the 40-some-year-old woman who tries to stop him from stealing the car, um, we we don't know what that 13-year-old's record was. When we hear the stories about 
the kids, the 15 and 16 year olds that get arrested driving 95 miles an hour in the stolen car. We don't know what it is that they had done before because juvenile records are, are sealed. And I will tell you, in many cases, if you knew what the juvenile records were and you looked at the disposition, it would just absolutely chill you. For whatever reasons, we have decided we are going to protect these criminals and at the same time expose the rest of us to risk. Well, even after the tragedy on Sunday, there are still people who are arguing that there's nothing wrong with our system. I'm looking at a story in the Washington Post, and they're quoting somebody who's the former director of the Public Defender Project at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Now, keep in mind, the ethical responsibility of the Federal Public Defender's Office, they don't represent us. They do not represent the general public. They represent the defendants. That's all they care about. And, you know, in the case of a defense attorney, the defense attorney wants to get his or client out on bail. They want to get him released. They want to get him off. They want to have the least possible consequences they possibly can. That is their ethical duty. That That's all well and good. But whenever you hear somebody from a federal public defender, for example, arguing in defense of an indefensible system, you have to understand that they are viewing it solely from the perspective of, I want to get my gal, I want to get my girl off, my guy or gal off with as limited a responsibility as possible. That is my job. Whereas for the rest of us, I would argue that the system needs to be concerned, certainly with the guilt or innocence of somebody that's accused of a crime, but also the overall protection of the rest of us. So anyhow, this is the Washington Post today. Um, guy, the guy, former federal public defender, he, he is defending the cash bail. Here's what he says. He says, setting Brooks's cash bail at $1,000 is not necessarily unusual. Let me stop there. I don't agree. I don't disagree with that. And this is part of the problem because anybody in their right mind who would look at somebody like Brooks and think that a thousand dollars bail was appropriate given his history of committing allegedly committing crimes while out on bail and his overall pattern of criminal behavior. Anybody who thinks that a thousand dollars in bail is is reasonable is just nuts. Now, but he says, well, it's not unusual, and and I don't necessarily disagree. That's the scary thing. And he goes on to say, well, deterring further crime is not the purpose of cash bail. Cash bail is really, are you going to show up in court or not? So that's it. We, We shouldn't, at least the argument is, we shouldn't care about whether you are a danger to the community. We shouldn't care if you're going to commit more crimes while you're out on bail. All we should care about is, will you show up? All right. Now, I am a product of the federal court system, where despite its many flaws, We do not, the federal court system does not get as hung up in this political correctness and wokeness as some states do. In the federal system, all right, there are two factors that you consider when you are looking at bail. The first factor is, is somebody likely to appear? You want to set bail at an amount that is high enough that guarantees that somebody will show up again. Secondly, though, the judge is also allowed to consider whether any amount of bail will ensure public safety. 
So it's a two-pronged analysis. It's okay, high enough bail to make sure somebody's going to show up. And secondly, you know, can you fashion conditions that will ensure the public safety? So what that means is if you have dangerous career criminals that are out there, you can factor these two things together in deciding to set bail. So, for example, maybe you would look at somebody like this Daryl Brooks and you would say, all right, he is clearly a danger to the community. Now, even if I, and by the way, in the federal system, there are provisions, you can have hearings that have people held without bail. We used to do that all the time. So, but maybe you say with Brooks, okay, it's not, you know, it's not, the charges he is charged with are not significant enough to say, let's hold him without bail. But it is clear the guy is a career criminal. So what we need to do is we need to set bail that is high enough that essentially guarantees that if somebody's going to come in and post it for him, he's going to, that person is going to take responsibility for watching over him, and maybe we have some ability to try to keep him under control. And if there's nobody there that's willing to post $50,000 bail or $100,000 bail or whatever, maybe, you know, maybe that means he just sits while we wait for the court proceeding. Now, I understand there's some people, some civil libertarians who say, well, this is terrible. You, you can't hold people just simply because they're charged, to which I say nuts, nuts to that. At some point in time, we have to start being concerned about our safety. I think this is a starting point where you need to change the laws. Now, beyond that, you've got to understand, in Milwaukee County, you've got a district attorney that is committed to doing anything he can, bending over backwards to try to release people on the street. So that that's the second problem. But the first problem to me is when you're setting bail, seems to me it's not just about will somebody show up. It's also is somebody a danger and you factor in setting the bail high enough to make sure that they do not re-offend Eight, five, while they're on bail. And by the way, when they do screw up when they're out on bail, the idea of just simply putting them out on another bail is just absolutely appalling. But that, of course, is a problem with the the court system. That's the DA, that's the court commissioner, that's the judge who are just using incredibly bad judgment. And in the case of Daryl Brooks, people are dead because of that bad judgment. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we need to start reforming the bail situation? And are you as upset as I am, I guess, that people who should not be out on the street are being routinely returned to the street to continue to commit more crimes without any fear at all of consequences, whether it's juvenile car thieves or whether it's career criminals who are running over people with cars who are accused of violent crimes and are turned loose on ridiculously low bails. I mean, are we going to learn anything from this Brooks case, or do we have to continue to essentially keep ourselves in fear that, you know, next time it's going to be somebody else. It might be you, it might be me, it might be your family, it might be my family, who are the victims of these criminals who are let out on the street to plunder at will. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. (laughs) 
Hey, looking for somewhere to watch this weekend's Packers game against the L.A. Rams? Join WTMJ's Carol Kane at Flannery's in downtown Milwaukee's historic Cathedral Square. Carol will be there from 3 to 6 with fun games, prizes, and much more. Plus, enjoy 22-ounce Miller Lights for just 4 bucks. It's the Miller Lite Watch Party with WTMJ's Carol Kane at Flannery's for this Sunday's Packers game. For more information, head to WTMJ.com. Let's start with Mark in Glendale. Mark, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, my condolences go out, go out to everybody. That goes without saying. Um, I just want to relate a little incident, in, uh, you know, about your feelings, too, about, you know, the lack of proper bail here. Uh, I've heard that, you know, part of the responsibility is the fact that the DAs are doing a lot of this stuff virtually and they don't have time for pretrial hearings and things like that. I know I recently, two weeks ago, had a made a court appearance in the Washington court, and I went in there, and I was the only person in there. The judge was virtual, so I understand things aren't normal. But the system is broken. Uh, there's no way, you know, that this guy should have been out on a $1,000 bail. And then I, I understand today it came out, or yesterday, that he's also wanted the state of Nevada, Daryl Brooks, yeah. for not registering as a sex offender. Yep. Um, you know, and, and I know on Instagram he's made some terribly disparaging racial comments, you yep. know, about white people, which is terrible itself. I mean, God forbid, I mean, I'm being very frank with you, okay? God forbid this shoe were on the other foot. What would have happened, what would the reaction be if, God forbid, somebody had driven, a white person had driven through a Juneteenth Day celebration and yeah. done this, killed people and things like that? Well, I guess, Mark, let me stop there, because I'm trying to, I, I don't want to racialize this, and, and I understand one of the things that, that really bothered me Sunday afternoon is when this thing first happened, I probably got a handful of emails from people who wanted to politicize it. This is the Republicans. And I, I don't know exactly what they, they thought was. This is the Republicans that have created this. This is this is the violence. This is, you better do shows about the violence. And, and it just it bothered me that we were politicizing this. I don't want to racialize this either because there's larger points that are, are going here. I don't believe this was any there was anything racial to do with this. This was a career criminal who shouldn't have been out on bail, who apparently was fleeing the scene of another crime, did not want to get arrested and sent back to jail. Although, given the way the system worked, I don't know why he th- thought he was going to get out, sent back to jail, but who then decided that he was going to, you know, drive through this parade route in an attempt to flee the scene. And, and then th- this carnage ended up happening. So that's the underlying problem. Now, going back to your first statement, I, I think you are exactly right. The DA's office has essentially been shut down. And by that, I mean it's closed to the public. And so what happens is you've got district attorneys that are working at home. So the, the, the cases being processed through the court system have slowed to a trickle. So as a result of that, I mean, this is really, it's sort of like a, a golden time if you decide you want to be a criminal in Milwaukee because they're, they're, we're just, the system isn't moving people through. And so the idea is, okay, we've got dangerous people here, but you know what? We, we, we can't get around to it. We're not scheduling the, the trials right now. So we don't want to set bail on people. So we're doing this triage system where we essentially turn everybody loose to commit more crimes. So a system that was bad in the beginning has now become absolutely horrific. And it is putting all the rest of us 
at risk. Look, I would not be carrying on about this as much as I am if I thought this was a one-off. Look, prosecutors make mistakes. Court commissioners make mistakes. You can always get one wrong. But the question is, is Daryl Brooks that one-off that, oh, the district attorney and the court commissioner just missed all these signs and got it wrong, or is this part of a systematic problem which has endangering the lives and the safety of the general public. And I firmly believe that this is not a one-off. I firmly believe that this stuff happens, like I said earlier, on a regular basis, where you have people who should be behind bars, who are out on the streets on ridiculously low bails or on well, while they're waiting pending charges for stuff that they've done, and they take that as just a green light to go out and commit more crimes. I also firmly believe that this this case is getting the attention it is because of the carnage which, which was created, but you can find... 15 or 20 Daryl Brooks on any given day when you look at the records of people who are committing crimes. And as I was saying a couple minutes ago, don't even get me started on juveniles because the bottom line is we know that juveniles, unless you're driving 90 miles an hour in that stolen car and you run through a red light and kill a bunch of people, we know that nothing is going to happen to you. You will not be waived into adult court. You will be returned to your parents 12 hours later, told not to do it again. And when you do it again, the same thing is going to happen over and over. Now, somebody said to me, well, Jeff, it sounds like you're talking about raising taxes to build more prisons. Let me be real clear here. When it comes to public safety, you betcha. And I think most people are behind me. I think that we need to be safe. And if that means building more facilities to put dangerous people in prison for longer periods of time, or at least any periods of time, it's a trade-off. To have had Daryl Brooks off the streets would have meant that five people would be alive and 40-some more would not be in the hospital and injured. That's a trade-off that I am willing to take. Now, I understand that in today's politically correct world, that's not the way we want to go. We don't want to incarcerate too many of this type of person or that type of person, to which I say nuts. If you are a criminal... If you are committing criminal activities, if you are a career criminal, yeah, I want you warehoused. I, I want you to, I, I look, my fondest hope is you can see the light and you can figure out a way to reform yourself. I, I'm all in favor of that. But at the same time, first and foremost, we have to protect the rest of us from the Daryl Brooks of the world. And we're not doing that now. And again, it's not just was this was this case mishandled of course it was that that's the easy that's the low hanging fruit but it's a systematic problem that's out there and unless we wake up and say enough is enough it's going to happen again and again and again and again you're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ One of the big questions that a number of people have is in light of the the horrible thing that happened on, on Sunday involving a career criminal who should not have been out on the streets and in his effort to flee from his apparently latest criminal activity ended up 
breaking through barricades and driving through a parade and hitting and killing people. This, of course, it wasn't an act of terrorism. It was an act of, well, again, a depraved sociopath who should not have been out on the streets. But a number of communities are wrestling with the idea of do we continue to go ahead and have a Christmas parade? The village of Menominee Falls, which is a screwed-up community, the village of Menominee Falls, whether it's the school system or their their typical response appears to be to cancel events. They, they canceled their Fourth of July parade this year. They have become the, at least so far, the first and only community to announce that they are canceling their parade. So there will be no Christmas parade in Menominee Falls. It was scheduled for November 28th. The village president says um, that uh, they stand in solidarity with Waukesha friends and is concerned that residents would possibly be too terrified to attend the parade, too terrified to attend the parade. Um, then it goes on to say it would be hard to march in the parade, which would be normally be a joy- joyous time because of what we know what happened in, in Waukesha. And then residents are too terrified. So the concern of the village president in Menominee Falls is that people in Menominee Falls would be too scared to go and attend the parade. Now, that at the moment appears to be the outlier with regard to parade decisions. Um, for example... Appleton, Appleton's Christmas Parade is going to go on as scheduled. Um, they're going to do a moment of silence, which is something that I suggested is appropriate uh, yesterday, um, for the victims and families at the start of the procession. So you've got that there. I'm looking through the city of Franklin, says their holiday parade is going to go on as scheduled. The Sheboygan Police Department says their holiday parade is going to go on as scheduled. I have a release from West Bend. The West Bend Christmas Parade is scheduled for this weekend, November 28th, 5 o'clock p.m., it is uh, out in West Bend. It's This would be the 69th annual West Bend Christmas Parade, the oldest continuously running parade in Wisconsin, um, and they've issued a statement. Our thoughts and prayers go out to victims, their families, and the entire Waukesha community from Sunday's tragic event during the Christmas Parade. And um, what they say is that, you know, they will be going ahead with the parade. It will occur. They're also saying that, you know, they've been meeting with the police department and there's going to be some extra security that is going to be implemented, including they're not going to let people park as close to the parade route. And they're telling people you you might want to get there early and you might have to walk a little bit farther, but they, they are going to go ahead with the parade, which appears to be the, the general consensus, at least thus far, a majority of the communities deciding that, no, they're going to go ahead and, and do the parades. They're reassessing the security they need, but they're taking, I think, the position that what happened in Waukesha was a tragic situation, but it was a freak situation, and that from the perspective of the, the safety of people who would attend parades, unless there's a lot more Daryl Brooks who've been let out on bail that they shouldn't have been, that there's really not a threat and a danger. But nevertheless, you, you want to be safe, not sorry. But they're taking those precautions. So thus far, the, the default position appears to be parades in general are going to occur. There will be some extra security measures. And at some of the various parades, there will be 
moments of silence and things like that to acknowledge the victims of the, the, the horrible thing that happened on Sunday. Menominee Falls, they apparently believe that people are too terrified to attend the parade. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I felt strongly about this yesterday. I feel even more strongly today. I, I just, I, I, th- I think it is important for these parades to go on. And I think it can be done in a respectful fashion. I I like the idea of a a moment of silence at at the beginning of the parade. I actually like the idea of maybe some, you know, having people circulate among the parade goers and raise funds for some of the money that's, that's being raised and people are being incredibly generous. But this idea that we're just, especially after the last year or so, that we are going to allow the actions of one demented psychopath to prohibit and stop something that brings incredible joy to so many people all across the area. To me, that just sends the wrong message. And as far as people being too terrified to attend the parade, maybe there's some people who are, I guess, reluctant, and maybe they're going to be a little bit more aware, and maybe some people will stay home. But the truth of the matter is, I don't believe that that is a rational fear. This was caused because of a criminal psychopath who should not have been out on bail. It's not, it's not like the, you know, that Al Qaeda has declared war on Christmas parades. This was a freak occurrence. It is tragic. It is unfortunate. It is it should make everybody angry that this guy was out on the street. But I don't think it's a basis to cancel parades. And I don't think the majority of people in the communities, including Menominee Falls, are terrified to attend parades. At least I hope not. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I understand the argument that that you, you had this incredible tragedy last Sunday and, and you want to be respectful for the loss of life. But but seriously, is being respectful, does that mean canceling all the other parades that are there? Because some psychopath does what that psychopath did last Sunday. Does, does that now mean that, okay, we, we, we can't have any nice things anymore? I mean, and, and of course, in Menominee Falls, their, their default position appears to be we're, we're going to cancel things. And as far as the idea that residents of Menominee Falls may be too terrified to attend the parade route, not my word the word of the uh, village president. I, I'm sorry, I, I, I think people in Menominee Falls are probably hardier than that. I guess I, I think it is important for a sense of normalcy to say, you know, we're, we're going to go ahead with these area holiday parades and we're going to do it in a respectful fashion and we will maybe, if we think it's appropriate, we're going to acknowledge, you know, the victims of that tragedy last Sunday and we're going to do it in an appropriate and respectful fashion. But we're we're not going to just give in to the criminal element that is out there. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Menominee Falls. Hi, Jeff. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Y- yes, sir. What do you think? Um, I'm actually uh, 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 not in favor of Menominee Falls canceling the parade. Um, my granddaughter, Annabelle, was at the uh, Waukesha Parade and in the Extreme Dance Troupe. Um, and thankfully escaped uh, the carnage by, by a matter of minutes, and as well as the rest of her family, you know, my son and uh, wife and two other children. Um, 
but this was a freak accident, uh, and not an accident, but right. it was a, a, freak a freak occurrence. occurrence. Yeah. And I would really appreciate. I, um, sorry, I don't. I think people would heal much better if they were to hold the parade and have an empty spot in the yep. procession for the dancing grannies. Yeah, yeah. There's. I mean, no. Thanks for the call, and I'm, I'm very glad that your, you know, your family members were, were able to come out of the, the thing unscathed on on Sunday. I, right. There's all sorts of ways that you can appropriately memorialize and pay tribute to people without necessarily saying we have to cancel these different events that are there. And and that's where I think, again, I, I think it is my hope that these parades go on with, again, appropriate uh, and maybe to an extent, again, use them as an opportunity, I'm saying, to not only make a recognition, but use them as an opportunity to, to fundraise. You know, have representatives from the, you know, the, the United Way of Milwaukee and Waukesha County that's doing an outstanding job of, of raising money that's going to go to support, you know, victims of this tragedy. Use it as a positive. Make, you know, make lemonades out of lemon as a, lemons as opposed to say, okay, well, we're afraid to do this because residents are too terrified. And by the way, don't get me wrong. If if you are uncomfortable going out and standing along a parade route because of what happened in Waukesha on Sunday, I I don't understand that, but I respect it. Then then don't don't go. And if you think you know your children would be too uncomfortable and you're wrestling with how you talk about things like this, then then don't take the kids this year. I, I understand all that, and I'm sure it's going to be a different mood at Christmas parades all throughout the area. My only point is, I just don't think I don't think you need to cancel them, and I think that actually sends the wrong message. And my guess is that a lot of the people who were involved in the parades, who worked all year, for example, to participate in, in the Waukesha Parade, my guess is the vast majority of them would say, no, we, we don't want to be the lesson that comes from th- this horrible situation that occurred as the result of a psychopath who should have been in prison. We don't want the result of that to be that all the other marching bands and all the other people who worked all year to participate in a parade, now you, you don't get to go ahead and have that parade. My guess is the vast majority of the people who participated in that Waukesha parade who attended it would not want that to be the takeaway. Let's talk to Barbara in Pewaukee. Hi, Barbara. You're on WTMJ. Hi. I'm I'm okay with the parades. The only thing I wanted um, people to know is I was in the South Shore parade on Saturday, and there was a car that did the same thing. It was just that he didn't hit anybody. He was speeding in the wrong direction of the parade. Um and I just think that the police need to really take care of those barricades mm-hmm. um, better. Yeah, now, in the case you're talking about, I assume, was it somebody who just accidentally made a turn or something and didn't realize there was there was the parade? Do we know what was happening? Um, I have no idea Got what it. was in their mind. All I know is they said really fast, and it was um, in one of the lanes going the wrong way of the parade i have no idea why or what they were thinking yeah and and again i mean stuff like this happens it's interesting thanks to call one of the things 
that for I got a text yesterday from somebody who was down in Chicago over the weekend and they have their their big Disney Disney slash Christmas parade. And one of the things that people had done is they, they told me that a lot of the side streets leading on to Michigan Avenue were were blocked. They brought in snow plows and, and they blocked a lot of the side streets in addition to having the police cars and the barricades so that it would be very, very difficult to drive cars down the, the roads. Now, I mean, maybe you need to do that in downtown Chicago. I'm not sure that you really need to do that in Grand Chute. Again, understanding that what happened here was was at least in my opinion, and I think I'm right. It, it was a it was a one off. It, it's not, and I don't. I really don't believe that the guy who who did this. I don't think he woke up that morning intended to intending to you know drive through a Christmas parade and and hit and kill a bunch of people. I think it was just a byproduct of somebody who had a reckless disregard for life, and it it just all kind of led into this stuff. And then once he got into the situation, just didn't care about it, wanted to get out of the situation, and was driving through people again with no. No compunction at all. Now, I got some people saying, well, you know, this is you have to cancel this out of respect for others. That That's what you have to do. Well, no, I I, I don't buy that. And I again, I go back to the basic premise. That I think most people it is important. You can do this. You can have the parades and you can continue to be. You can do it in a respectful fashion. And you can say, look, we are not going to allow some criminal psychopath to take away a part that things that people have worked for the entire year. Again, if you don't feel comfortable going to the parade, well, don't don't go to the parade. But at least it is my hope that the vast majority of these communities go ahead with their parades and they do it in a fashion where they appropriately memorialize the the victims of this psychopath's behavior last Sunday. Number of texts about this, but I guess I, I just I go back to this basic premise. What does canceling other Christmas parades in the area uh, accomplish? I mean, what what does it do other than give the, the psychopathic criminals, give them control over the rest of everybody's lives. And I, look, I, I understand you can do it in a respectful fashion. I encourage people to, to do that. You can maybe turn it into a, some take a, a very bad situation, at least try to get some small silver lining, maybe use it, like I say, as an opportunity to raise raise some money, to help continue to raise more money. But but what do you accomplish by just saying, okay, well, we're, we're going to cancel this. And as far as the village president suggesting that people in Menominee Falls would be too terrified to go to the parade. I, I just, I, I don't think he's reading people of Menominee Falls. Jeff, after nearly two years of lockdowns and cancellations due to COVID, um, we need to get back to familiarity and tradition. Um, this can't be rubber stamped. Is another incident that takes that away from us. Here's another text, Jeff. Don't give a career criminal the power to cancel holiday parades all throughout the area. Jeff, canceling anything lets the bad guys win. No way. Jeff, it's as if some people think they need to do something. It may make zero sense. It may accomplish nothing, but they just want to feel like they're doing something. People are so afraid of living that their lives will pass them by. And I guess that's the the, the interesting and operative phrase. By canceling the parade, what does that do? What message does it send? And if your community decides to do it and they decide to follow the path of Menominee Falls, I, I guess, well, well, so be it. I just hope they don't.
All right, we've got a lot coming up on today's show. Do not go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Oh, by the way, if anybody thought that maybe the events of Sunday and this concern that we have about crazy and reckless driving, maybe it would make people think twice about getting behind the wheel of a car and driving in a reckless fashion. Well, uh, no. Here's the story. Sherman and Hampton crash. Three hurt, including driver that blew red light. Uh, this is from Fox 6. Milwaukee police are investigating a crash that left three people injured on Monday, November 22nd. So this would be yesterday. The crash happened at the intersection of Sherman and Hampton around 1130 a.m. Monday. Officials say a car driven by a 36-year-old man disregarded a traffic light, struck a second vehicle. The impact of that collision caused the striking vehicle to collide with a traffic pole split in half and strike two other vehicles. So the car that blows through the red light is going so fast that it strikes a second vehicle and then the impact, the driver, loses control, collides with a traffic pole, it splits in half and strikes two other vehicles. If you will remember about a week ago, there were the two kids I want to say 13 and 16 year old who were killed in in a similar sort of collision. What happened is the car was going so fast it hit a pole and it split in half. The two kids that were killed were in the back seat. I don't think either one of them was wearing a seatbelt. They were e- ejected and and they ended up dead. So this is the same sort of thing. The driver of the striking vehicle, the driver of the second vehicle, a 28-year-old woman and a third person, a 53-year-old woman suffered non-life-threatening injuries. Only the driver of the striking vehicle, that would be the person that ran the red light at the high rate of speed, um, and the driver, the third vehicle needed medical treatment. Okay, so, I mean, this is, thankfully, nobody's dead. But this, this again, it, it goes on, on on just a regular basis. And the, the message is not getting through. I mean, if you are driving anywhere in the mean streets of Milwaukee, the lesson appears to be you take your life into your own hands. And here's just another situation about this. And for anybody who thought, well, maybe all these different stories about reckless driving and people dying and things of the like, maybe somebody would get the message that this is a bad thing. No, it's 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 happening on a regular basis. And my guess is, if I prepare for the show tomorrow, over the course of the next 24 hours, there will be one or two or three more stories exactly like that. Again, raising the question of how many more people need to be injured, how many more people need to die before we recognize that reckless driving is a significant problem as well. And when you stumble across people who are doing it, in many cases, people who don't have valid driver's license. Now, I don't know what this story was with this guy, but in a vast majority of these cases, it's people who don't have valid driver's licenses, who have a long record of traffic offenses, and they're doing this over and over again. And what we do is, here's the theme of today's program, we put them back out on the streets and we give them a chance to do it again. At some point in time, will we say enough is enough? And I'm not holding my breath on that. All right, let us switch gears. 
I confess I did not see the entire interview. Um, I, I, I had a TMJ event. Matter of fact, what we did is we had the um, table reading for our WTMJ Christmas show, which is a week from from tonight. And it's actually, it's, it's pretty good. If you don't have tickets and the event is sold out, if you don't have tickets, um, you, you want to hear the, the replays. It's This one's pretty good. This was one of the better ones. I think I want to just really take my hat off to the, the folks that, that wrote it, because uh, this year, it's it's one of the best ones I think we've had in years, and I say that sincerely. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think you're going to have a lot of fun with this. But anyhow, we, we had the table reading for it, so everybody got together. Um, so I, I didn't have a chance to watch the entire interview with Kyle uh, Rittenhouse and Tucker Carlson on Fox News. I saw... I, I saw clips of it, and I don't know if it's fair to say I saw the highlights, but I, I did see a bunch of, of – I saw some of it, and I've, I've read a lot of the descriptions about this. I will tell you, the way this, this Rittenhouse interview is being perceived fits into two categories. Generally speaking, in the, the what I will describe as the mainstream media, the mainstream media is outraged that Tucker Carlson would sit down with Kyle Rittenhouse and would give him a forum to, you know, state his case to the public and rip the mainstream media and rip the prosecutors in what was they describe as an incredibly sympathetic interview with a series of softballs. Now, of course, you know, that's not necessarily unexpected because if it were... I don't know, somebody appearing on MSNBC and being interviewed by Rachel Maddow, who was, I don't know, in a situation that she was sympathetic to. You know, you would get a lot of the same thing. But but yes, it was a sympathetic interview. There's no question about it. So many people are just absolutely appalled that Kyle Rittenhouse would get this forum. The flip side of this is a lot of people out there saying, look, this this was a kid who was done a huge injustice by the justice system that's out there. He was overcharged to begin with. He was vilified in the media with a series of lies, starting with the president, now president of the United States, who labels him at labeled him as a white supremacist at the time this crime or this event initially occurred. And then all the coverage and all the false things that were said, like he traveled, brought a gun, you know, across state lines with the intent of shooting people and things like that stuff, which was just demonstrably false and by and large was never corrected. So the other attitude idea is, look, Kyle Rittenhouse, he, he went through this. He's been acquitted. He gets a chance to tell his story. And if he chooses to tell his story to a sympathetic interviewer, more power to him. The other factor is there, there's GoFundMe campaigns that are out there now. And I know people are donating money to this. And obviously, by making an appearance on Fox News, while Fox News doesn't pay him directly for the interview, it gives him the exposure. And my guess is there's some people who might be inclined to make a contribution to his GoFundMe efforts, you know, in an effort to defray legal expenses or whatever. Let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Were you appalled by the notion, or are you appalled by the notion that, I don't know, a, a news outlet like Fox News would give Kyle Rittenhouse an opportunity to sit down and conduct what I think was fairly described as a, a sympathetic interview? Should we be outraged by this, or is this 
just a polarized, we're in a polarized setting. People have two very different views of what happened. And if Kyle Rittenhouse wants to tell his story and people want to hear it, more power to him. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you saw the interview last night, I would be particularly interested in hearing your reaction. 855-616-1620. Back to discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I watched the Tucker Carlson interview with Kyle Rittenhouse. I actually thought that Kyle sounded very mature and spoke very eloquently. As a member of the city of Kenosha, you can say what you want about his acts. However, I do not think he's a hero, yet I thought he handled himself very well about explaining his intentions and his desire to protect Kenosha. Um, Jeff, I watched the whole thing. I thought it was very well done. I thought it was reasonable. Jeff, I was surprised at how well-spoken Kyle Rittenhouse was. Uh, Jeff, Kyle is a hero. Glad the truth got out there. Um, I, I, I have trouble with that. I have trouble with that word, hero, because I, I don't, I, I think, you can make a very strong argument that the jury got it correct and that he he was not guilty of, of the offense charge, or at least the state couldn't prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, hero, that, that's, that's a tough, that's a big word to use for somebody who found himself in the circumstances that he did. But at the same time, again, I, I think the jury got this correctly. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm appalled by people donating to his GoFundMe campaign. Self-defense or not, his decision to show up in Kenosha cost two people their lives. Only idiots would support these actions. Um, Jeff, he was proven innocent beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, let me just stop with that. He, he wasn't proven innocent beyond a reasonable doubt. The standard of proof in this country, we don't ask if people are innocent or guilty. We ask, are they guilty or not guilty? And as I've been saying during the course of the trial, people need to remember, the state has the burden of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. That's why we say guilty or not guilty. We don't say guilty or innocent. He was found not guilty, which means the state failed to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's a verdict that I agree with. And as I've said before, if I was going to be critical of the prosecution, and I have been in some respects, I think the case was just way overcharged. I think they developed this narrative early on that he was this white supremacist who came to Kenosha with the idea of shooting people. I don't think that's what happened. I think he was a kid who shouldn't have been in that situation, who quickly got in over his head, who found himself interacting with members of the protest group, including the first guy, who I believe was in the process of attacking him. And it it all kind of went haywire after that. If the prosecution had approached the case like that, which is what I think the facts supported, charged the case more appropriately, maybe. You would have always had the issue of self-defense, but maybe the result would have been different. But in any event, all right, for this interview yesterday, should we begrudge him for this? Michael in Lake Geneva. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, you know what? I'm I'm not going one way or the other on his guilt or, or innocence. Uh, or uh, any political views that are that are uh, being offered up, I think that it's uh, the 
the run for eyeballs on any media outlet, whether it was Fox or CNN or MSNBC, whatever it might be, when you put Kyle Rittenhouse in front of an audience, uh, and it's a you know, and he's so provocative, he's drawing eyeballs. So the advertisers are just sitting there going, "Oh yes, this is what we want." So uh, I, I just see it more as mm-hmm. as a a reason to gain uh, yeah, well, oh, no, clearly, and, and I mean, I, I haven't seen the overnight ratings, but my guess is that they are going to be huge. No, thanks. And there's no question about it. I mean, it, it's 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 a big get. There, there's there's no doubt about it. It's a big get for Fox News. And um, my, my guess is if the verdict had gone down a different route, there, there might have been other people that this would have been a big get. I, I don't fault him for going on, on television telling a story. I, I mean, I think especially if, if I mean, there is a monetary component to this. I'm not saying that Fox News paid him. They, they said they didn't. But obviously, if he's got legal expenses and things like this, this is one of his ways to kind of solicit donations directly or indirectly that, that help pay him because there, there is going to be a point in time where we're going to move on to the, the next trial of the year or the trial of the decade or the trial of, of the century. I, a number of people, and again, I only watched portions of this. I watched clips because of what I had to do last night. I am struck by the large number of texts I'm receiving from people who did watch the interview who are are saying something like this texter. Jeff, I watched the interview. The questions definitely were friendly and supportive of him, but I was surprised at how articulate and well-spoken he was. That said, I suspect he had the questions in advance and had time to compose his answers to support his perspective. Um, I also wonder whether they took breaks to allow him to collect his thoughts. Yeah, I, I mean, this is unquestionably a, a friendly interview. I, I guess there's nothing, no doubt about that. I will admit, now, maybe this is maybe this is a tribute to his defense attorneys, for example, but when, when he testified on the witness stand, I thought he was surprisingly articulate on on the, these issues. And, and maybe it was because the impression that I, I sort of had from the media and the coverage and the commentary was that this was some this was going to be some some punk who, you know, with with white supremacist tendencies who, who came to Kenosha looking to kill people. Maybe that's the image I had. And, and maybe that's another reason why Either he was able to conceal that, or alternatively, the prosecution made a huge mistake in trying to paint him in that fashion, when maybe if they would have taken a more realistic example of what actually happened in shaping the charges and shaping their theory of the case, maybe this it, maybe it would have gone down differently. Ron in Oconomowoc. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Ron? Ron, Ron, Ron. Lost Ron. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, yes to what you just said. I was very surprised by his language. He's he's no dummy. Well, I, I don't know whether that's the case or not. I don't know whether he's well rehearsed or whatever. But the impression he left in his testimony and the impression he left, at least in the clips I saw last night, was, was not the impression I initially thought. He did not come across like I thought he was going to come across based on the lead-up to the trial. Jeff, I agree. I think he was well-coached. I think his defense team prepared him extremely well. 
Jeff, I don't have a problem with him being interviewed on television. I do have a problem with some of these softball questions. Well, that's that that's always a fair thing. Jeff Fox has been consistently sympathetic towards Rittenhouse, in part because the major media outlets vilified him and in many cases flat out lie. I support the balancing. Um, yeah, however, I do wish someone in the political or philosophical center could use this as a teaching moment and ask him if he regrets his decision to enter chaos with a rifle. It may dissuade others from following his example. On that point, if you follow me on, on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, and I sent out a number of tweets yesterday, many of which got a huge response. This one, not as much, but it's actually one that I feel really, really strongly about. Um, and I did a follow-up on this. There's photographs. There was a protest in Kenosha on Sunday. And there's photograph. and this was an, an anti-Rittenhouse sort of protest. And there's a photograph of a 46-year-old guy and his 16-year-old daughter who show up at this protest, both armed with what appear to be, again, the assault-style rifles, and they're in, one of the dad in particular looks to me like he's dressed in the military-style flak jacket, and they've got the boots and stuff, and, and they're, they're, they're walking down the street brandishing the these guns, and they say they're there to provide security. And all I'm thinking is, my God, where are Child Protective Services? If the takeaway that people are getting from Rittenhouse is that it's a good idea to arm your 16-year-old child and bring them into a protest setting with a, a rifle. I mean, that that I, I know there's many, many lessons that you can draw from Rittenhouse, okay? But if that's the one that you take, you got some serious, serious problems because putting kids into that situation, nothing good can happen, either to them or to others. And I guess I would hope that that would be the takeaway from the Rittenhouse case, not let's arm everybody to the teeth and let's show up to provide security. If you want to see the the story about the guy and his daughter, again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of our texters says, gee, I'm wondering what became of the $2 million bond money that was posted for Rittenhouse. I believe it was raised by a fundraising campaign for his defense. This is one of the open questions that's out there. $2 million was posted to secure his release. Kyle Rittenhouse, through his current attorney, saying, hey, that money should be returned to us. The group that was originally run by, the, the, they call it fight the Fight Back Foundation, which is that first set of lawyers that Rittenhouse had that ended up getting fired. They're the ones that, that raised the money, and they want the money back. They say it should be returned to us because, you know, what happens is the purpose of bail is to secure somebody's appearance, and he showed up for the trial, and so now it gets returned. So the issue is, does it go to him? Does it go to the people that, that posted it on his behalf? I don't know how the judge is going to rule in this particular case. Normally, the bail is returned to the person who, who posted it. So if I get in trouble and my friend Melissa Barkley shows up and posts $10,000 to get me out, I show up at the court proceedings, normally that $10,000 would go back to Melissa. Um, but I, I don't know how this one's going to play out. This is... Just like so many things going on in the Rittenhouse case, it's an oddity. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. During the the Rittenhouse case, I, I said that the presence of the protesters 
in Kenosha, regardless of, of which side you were on, was not helpful. And I continue to to believe that. And some of the politicians that decided they wanted to parachute in to get their faces on television, I thought was nothing short of, of shameful. You know, the, the similar thing is kind of playing out down in in this this case involving um, the the Aubrey case in, in Brunswick, Georgia. I, I haven't talked a lot about this because, in all honesty, I've been kind of consumed with following the Rittenhouse case. I, I want to get a little bit more up to speed on it before I discuss it with you on the radio. But right now, the essentially what happened: it was a black man who was shot by white men. Um, they say they were making a, a citizen's arrest and he was trespassing and wouldn't talk to him. Um, this is a much different case than the Rittenhouse case is, at least in my opinion. And my preliminary, my preliminary indication is I think this might lead to a, a much different result. But the jury is out. But there's already issues that apparently there, there's protesters that are gathering in the courthouse carrying like large weapons and a coffin with the name of the defendants on it and things like that. And just like the presence of the, these protesters in the Rittenhouse case was not helpful, I would argue that, that this is, is not helpful. And I guess it, it bothers me that the lesson of Rittenhouse is going to be if that some people are going to decide, okay, this means that we need to take weapons and we need to give them, put it in the hands, in some cases, of children, and we need to, to go into these volatile situations in the interest of self-defense or security or whatever, regardless of of which side you come down on to the extent you want to draw signs, that that's not a good thing. That That's not a good thing. And kids shouldn't be in this situation. And if adults decide they want to put themselves in the situation, they shouldn't be going armed. And, you know, more bad stuff is going to happen, whether you have protesters that decide that they want to arm themselves or self-proclaimed citizen militias or the like. And it's it's, again, one of the takeaways from Rittenhouse needs to be that civilian authorities cannot do what happened in Kenosha, which is lose control of, of the streets. Because if civilian authorities had not lost control of the streets those first two nights, it would not have led to the environment that led to the civilian militias and the protesters interacting with the civilian militias. And when people start to riot and they start to loot and they start to burn down buildings, you, you've got to stop it. You've got to stop it aggressively. You cannot be afraid that, oh, gee, we're going to make it worse if we arrest people that are, you know, burning down buildings or things of the like. Because if law enforcement and civilian authority loses control, it tends to cause people to think, well, okay, maybe if law enforcement can't do it, maybe this is a situation where we need civilians to take up arms and to do it. And and that just, it takes you down th- this route. And it's, it's not good. And if, in fact, it's true in this Aubrey case that you've got people that are now showing up on whatever side of the issue, you know, showing up with guns on the courthouse step, it's just, it's just not good. And to the extent that the legislatures need to deal with this, I think they need to deal with it. But the bigger problem is just if maybe people would leave their guns at home, the world would end up being a better place. All right. COVID is making a resurgence. I, I've been looking at now it is perhaps not surprising because as the weather gets colder and people start to go indoors and interact with people, that the COVID numbers go up. That, that's I think you can, can see that. Similarly, my guess would be in our southern states 
that, you know, we're undergoing like spikes of COVID in the summer when it's really, really blisteringly hot and people would go inside for the air conditioning. Now that it's it's nicer, you're going to see more people outside. My guess is that the numbers are going to go down. So to an extent, I, I think I firmly believe that COVID is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. I know some people don't want to hear it, but it's, it's what I believe. And I also do think that you are going to see seasonal spikes. Now, in Europe, um, which had had a handle, I think, to an extent on, on COVID, they're starting to lose control. Um, in Austria, they have announced that starting Monday, there will be mandatory lockdowns of anyone who is not vaccinated. And that's caused riots in the streets. I mean, there were 40,000 people the other day in the streets of Vienna who were, you know, protesting this. And the Austrians, they're, they're not taking this well. Uh, Germany, which for year, which for months and months and months has been, I guess, one of the, these models as to how you, you handle COVID and things like that. That's all starting to fall apart because there's a spike again in the COVID cases. And Germany is again looking at reinstituting a number of the, these lockdowns and stuff that they did in the United States. Um, the, the numbers are going up. New reported daily cases in the United States have risen by 10% in the past week. Um, and that reflects mostly recent increases in colder regions of the country. Uh, daily reported deaths rose during the period by 5%. Hospitalizations rose by 4%. In Europe, they're looking at going back and instituting the, the lockdowns. Um, right now, the White House is resisting that. They're saying, you know, we're, we're not heading in that direction. You know, what we want to do is we want to continue to encourage people to get vaccinated. But Europe, you know, they said they weren't going to do lockdowns. And now, at least in some of the countries, they are reversing it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, we went through lockdowns at the beginning of this. We have now emerged from it recognizing that even though you have a significant portion of the population that has been vaccinated and a decent portion of the population that's even had booster shots, and now that you have vaccinations that are available for pretty much everybody, children five and, and up, okay, numbers are still going up. All right, are, do we need to lock down? Should we be looking at returning to the lockdown mode that we were in I don't know, a year, a year and a half ago, 855-616-1620. Is it necessary to do that to prevent or preclude the stem and the growth of COVID? 855-616-1620. And more importantly, perhaps, will the population tolerate that? They're trying to do it in Austria, and they're not getting much traction. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Um, COVID cases are spiking all over the world, particularly in the United States. It's up largely in the, the colder regions as the cold weather sets in and people start going back inside. A um, number of European countries... Austria is number one. Austria has become the first European com- country to announce that starting Monday, they're going back into lockdowns for people who are unvaccinated. So far, the Biden administration says, OK, we're not going to push that. 
you know, should, should they rethink their position? 855-616-1620. My personal take is there, there would just be an absolute revolt. I, I think we're, I think we are past that. It was one thing to argue lockdowns, and I wasn't in favor of them in the beginning, but it's one thing to argue lockdowns before you have a vaccine. Now at this point in time, given the fact that you have a significant pop- percentage of the population that is in fact vaccinated, I think that, um, it, it's, it, we, we can't, say to some citizens, you can't go out, and to other people, you you can go out. I just don't think we can do that. I don't think the American public would put up with that. And that comes from the perspective of somebody who has, number one, had COVID, number two, is, in fact, vaccinated. Let's start with David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, with what you just said. Um, And to keep in mind, you know, if you look... um, through all the statistics, uh, you know, the most vaccinated states right now are the ones that are, the, you know, percentage-wise, population-wise, are the ones that are spiking. I think Michigan is number one, Vermont's like number two, Colorado is three. And, um, you know, we've heard a lot of different messaging, and obviously we're going on, you know, two years with this now. And, uh you know, with the vaccine, what you're seeing is is that, uh, you know, there's now a question. Now they're saying, well, the immunity apparently doesn't last as long as it should. And uh, to your point, the people, you just have this whole, you're going to have this whole mess of where we were promised one thing. If we we're going to get vaccinated, don't worry about it. It's going to take care of the Delta variant and whatever. And now... We're seeing, well, listen, you still have a very strong chance of getting the COVID, right. uh, potentially getting very sick. And I just, I think people are done with it. They've had enough. They can see with their own two eyes and, and, and hear what they're, uh, right. from other people as to what's going on. And at, at the end of the day, you just have to be diligent, uh, I think, uh, you know, try to take care of yourself as best you can. Right. And, and, and I think to and your the point, final thing, well, David, to your point, yeah. I, I think people are are now at a point where they're willing, the majority of people are willing to take that risk. They're ready to get back to life in, in general. You, for many people, you've done what you're supposed to do. You've gotten vaccinated. You know, you still maintain that social distancing, but, but you're, you're ready because the truth is, while nobody wants to get COVID, um, if you look at it, most people that get COVID don't don't die. It's not like the bubonic plague. You don't want it. And, you know, if you are somebody that's particularly susceptible, you know, you, you've got those underlying health conditions, you've got to be really careful. But you got to be careful not just about COVID. you got to be careful about the flu. you got to be careful about all sorts of other things. I just, I don't think people yeah. would support a lockdown, period. No, no. I, I At this point, I don't see that. And you see what's already happened when you've had lockdowns. You had people that there was a lot of implications with, you know, people missing uh, regular exams. And so, there, you know, cancer screenings. You had issues with uh, depression. Uh, you know, kids were uh, more suicidal. There's a whole host of reasons why the lockdowns were really just made certain things way worse than what they normally were. And we would be right back in that same situation if we went back into that. So. No, thank, thanks for calling. And I, and I think I think the Biden administration recognizes that, that that lockdown genie is out of the bottle. Here's a text from Lou. It says, I'm a data guy. The numbers we are seeing today are, in fact, equal to what we saw about a year ago. But 
Keep in mind, everything is open now. Children are, by and large, back in school. They were just approved for vaccines. I think, overall, we're still on on the right track. So I don't think that there's a need for a lockdown. You know, his point, I guess, is that we're, we're much more open now than we were a year ago. And, and I, see, here's the thing. And I know some people don't like to hear this. We're, we're not going to eradicate COVID. At least I don't believe that that's going to be the case. I mean, I think COVID is going to be with us seasonally, just like the flu. And I understand that COVID is not the flu, but at the same time, I think, you know, people need to be prepared for it. You need to do the best you can to address it. And, you know, one of the other things that the quicker they can develop the, the pills that they're talking about that provide treatment for COVID, um, the, the quicker they do that, the better that is also going to be. And so I think medical science is going to catch up with this. But I think for any community in the United States that's considering doing what Austria is doing is saying, okay, we're going to identify those people who aren't vaccinated and we're going to put the scarlet letter on them and we're going to say that you are subjects of lockdown. I, I have serious doubts as to the legality of that. Could you even do it? But even if you could do it legally, I think it would just lead to an incredible citizen's revolt. And this is Jeff Wagner. Well, here's an update on a story we talked about last week. And maybe the takeaway is maybe occasionally you can fight City Hall. Out in the People's Republic of Madison, they announced last week that if you want to be a poll worker, you had to be vaccinated. And this, of course, created a huge hubbub. The idea that, no, you have to be vaccinated or else they're not going to let you work in the polls. And the idea that a, a brief contact with a, a voter would be a, enough to you know, infect that voter. And there was a lot of outrage about this. And my point was, look, I, I think it's fair to say, all right, if you're going to work at the polls, what you need is one of two things. You either need to be vaccinated or alternatively, just like you need to get into Summerfest, you need to show proof within 72 hours or 48 hours or whatever it is that you've had a negative COVID test. I thought that that was a reasonable compromise. And I am pleased to say, well, I don't take credit for them thinking they were listening to me, but that's exactly what they've said. The city clerk has now said that poll workers who are not vaccinated can, in fact, work the polls as long as they provide negative test results within three days of an election. Now, some people might say that that's too onerous as well, but look, that's that's just the reality of today's world nowadays. And if you choose not to get vaccinated, while I might disagree with that, that is your individual decision. And you have to understand that there's going to be some limitations. But I think the idea of all right, if you want to work at the polls, that's fine. You just have to have that test and show that you're negative within three days of your working there. That is a reasonable requirement to put in, and I'm glad. I'm glad that they came around to that in the People's Republic of Madison. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. 
Um, I want to lighten it up a little bit this hour. Actually, my intent was it's short week, Thanksgiving week, and typically we, we, especially after last week with all the Rittenhouse stuff, and my intention was let's do some lighter shows. And, of course, then the tragedy involving last Sunday happened, and that kind of blew those plans out. And obviously there's a lot of significant and serious stuff that's going on in the world. But at the same time, there's a couple lighter topics that I guess I, I want to discuss as well, just to sort of mix it up. There, there has been a change. When I first started doing this program, you had the, the whole concept of, of Black Friday was a, a big deal. You call it Black Friday, of course, because it was the, the big shopping day after Thanksgiving. And they call it Black Friday because it was the day that retailers, first day in the year that retailers who've been losing money in the red all year, everybody goes out and they do enormous Christmas shopping and they move from red to black. They now start showing a, a profit. And I can remember there was year after year after year where I would end up doing the morning shift. I'd come in at like 8 or 8.30 in the morning and do that, that shift till noon. And we always had a segment where Melissa Barkley, before you leave, we always had a segment that we would do involving. I so said the show would start at eight thirty in the morning, and I'd say, "Okay, t- tell me about have you been out shopping yet?" And the phone lines would jam up, and it would be all these people who were out in lines at at various stores at like four o'clock in the morning, and by eight thirty in the morning, they had done their shopping and they were back in. And I'm thinking. Really? But there's people out there like that. Not me. Not you. <laughs> not, <laughs> That's not me. Well, not, not me either. And, but, but it was interesting because I, I thought it wasn't, it wasn't just the deals. Mm-hmm. People were looking for the, for the deals, but it was also like the experience. Yeah. yeah it was kind of like, it was kind of like why people go deer hunting. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the experience or and, tradition. Well, well, right. And, and it tended to be not exclusively. I don't mean to be sexist about this, but it tended to be more women who that was, kind of their their deer hunting and i understand that women go deer hunting and men go shopping but it was like you'd hear these stories of gee i've been doing this with my mom for years and so my mom and my three sisters and and we would get together or my girlfriends and we would get together and we would be in line at fill in the blank big box retailer at five thirty in the morning to run and try to get the the deal on the you know whatever you know a lot of these stores have extended their black friday deals so getting up in the morning really is more tradition than anything because you can get these deals throughout the entire day whether they have the product left or not that's one thing right and then there's the pandemic this year so hopefully what you want is in stores but yeah i get that but you but you were not one of those people that was lined up at four in the morning and i have to tell you every year i get a little bit better shopping for christmas where i cut it off when i know that i've gotten what i need to get for people and not just continually get stuff for people up until Christmas because I used to do that. Uh, but now it's more like Amazon or throughout the year if I see something in a local store that mm-hmm. I think someone would like, I just grab it. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and I also, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I was always intrigued by that because just like you, this was this was not me. I was not the guy yeah. that was going to be in line at four o'clock in the morning to try to run and get the, you know, $99 DVR or whatever it Does was. Does Fran do that with her family? No. No, she doesn't do that either. No, no, I don't. <laughs> I no. Well, at least she doesn't. Since she's been married to me, she doesn't oh, do it. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think there was a, a period type. Okay, but so you're not one of those. Mm, no. All right. Well, in any event, that that sort of that whole Black Friday thing changed a few years ago. And I'm talking pre-COVID, as more and more retailers kind of reached the p- opinion of saying, "Well, why why are we losing out on a big shopping day?" A potential shopping day like Thanksgiving, you know, because you've got all sorts of people who are are off that day and maybe, you know, they, they've had dinner. 
You have eaten the Thanksgiving dinner. It's 3.30 in the afternoon. Why don't we open up? And if you can remember a few years back, this was the huge controversy because what happened is you had a number of stores that would open up Thursday evening and would be open from, I don't know, four until midnight or would, would open up at eight o'clock and would be open continuously. So you didn't have this 5 a.m. thing. And we had conversations for several years about whether or not that was a, a good idea, whether or not customers would support that. Do people have this this huge desire to, to run out at eight o'clock on Thanksgiving night and, and go shopping? Um, is it fair to the employees to say, OK, we're, we're going to bring you in and we're going to make you work retail at eight o'clock on a, on Thanksgiving night? And so this was the debate that was going on and, until last year with covid. A lot of stuff changed and a lot of stores that had previously been open on Thanksgiving Day for all or part of the day, they, they, they backed off. They said, nope, we're, we're going to change this. And, and shopping in general changed. Remember, we were still we were talking about lockdowns in the last segment, and there were a lot of stores that, you know, in different communities, you, you couldn't go into them because they were the subject of lockdowns. All right, so we have, and look, and I, I understand there's still the pandemic, but we have, we have this Thanksgiving the Thanksgiving shopping season in the, you know, COVID plus one year. And and here's the deal. A number of stores, which in the past had made the decision that they were going to, in fact, be open on Thanksgiving pre-COVID, have decided that they're, they're reversing their policies, not because of COVID, but because they've just kind of decided it's the right thing to do. So Target, for example, has announced that they're they're close. They're going to be closed on Thanksgiving, and it's not a COVID-related thing. It, it's permanent. They said, "Okay, what started? This is the CEO says what started as a temporary measure driven by the pandemic is now our new standard." Walmart says um, they're going to be closed this year. Walmart's are going to be closed. We want to show appreciation for employees for the work that we've done. Coles. Kohl's is going to be closed on Thanksgiving Day. Best Buy. Best Buy is going to be closed on Thanksgiving Day. Now, there are going to be some stores that are going to be open. Walgreens, you know, far, as a pharmacy, Walgreens is going to be open. CVS is going to be open. Macy's is going to be closed. Uh, Best Buy closed. I said that before. A, a lot of the big retailers that in the past had made the decision that they were going to be open on Thanksgiving Day to try to get that traffic have now said, nope. You know what? We're going to go back to the traditional sort of Black Friday approach. Doors open at five in the morning or, or whatever, five in the morning, four in the morning, whatever the number is going to be. And, and that's what we're going to do. But we're going to stay closed on Thanksgiving. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's tee this up. Will you miss being able to shop at these retailers on Thanksgiving Day? Or do you think this is a good idea? 855-616-1620. For a lot of different reasons, I think it's a good idea. But let's discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is it a bad thing that these retailers have decided we're not going to be open on Thanksgiving Day? I actually don't think so. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Just wanted to say I love the uh, stranglehold intro. intro. That <laughs> awesome. 
<laughs> Thanks. That's my producer's doing, but thank you. That was good. That was a good choice. Um, so I do remember when they uh, started opening up on Thanksgiving, and it, it was probably like between five and ten years ago. Right. And I thought it was crazy. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. But what you said is true, that people are finished eating, you know, a lot of times by 5 o'clock. And I can remember when I was a kid, because we'd go to my cousins in the city, and we'd go to see the movies because, right. you know, everything was done. Um, so people did get used to it. As I, I was told your uh, screener, it kind of took away from the madness on Black Friday because it seemed like inevitably every year fights would break out at some store somewhere, um, you know, and it just was it's mayhem. Right. So then I kind of thought, well, it's a good thing. But from the perspective of the employees, I think that it's better not to because, uh, and I, don't, I truly don't believe that it's going to stay. I do believe they will go back to opening up on Thanksgiving within five years. Really? You do? So, so like, 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 for example, Target says, look, this is not just a one-off. This is our, our permanent policy moving on. But you think maybe if, if, for example, some of their competitors, like the Kohl's and the Best Buys and some of the, the Walmarts and the Costco's, if they decide to open up uh, Costco, I mean, Target will give in to public pressure and, and change the policy. I think so, and not to mention that, you you know, you get a new CEO, new board of directors, they see uh, that they're losing sales, and um, I think they'll do it. But I, I just think that there's much more um, corporate, quote-unquote, political correctness right now. Uh -huh. So they are, you know, uh, trying to be very employee-friendly, and yeah. I think that's part of it, too. Well, no, thanks for calling. You, you could, I mean, I, I don't even know that it's, it's corporate political correctness. I mean, look, you... It's look. This is not a news flash. If I tell you that nobody can find help, you 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 walk past almost any retail store, and you're going to see a sign that says, "You know, now hiring. Come on in. Bonuses or, or whatever being paid." So I think part of it might just be that this reality that's out there that we're we're understaffed, and what we're trying to do is be employee friendly, or at least as employee friendly as we can possibly be. And for a lot of people, dragging folks in to make them work six hours or four hours on Thanksgiving night is not exactly employee-friendly, especially if we're going to be bringing those same employees back at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, the, the day after. So I think that's some of the reality. I, I, you'd like to think that these corporations are being altruistic and, oh, we're doing this out of the goodness of our heart because we want our employees to, to stay home and enjoy the time with their family. I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe there's some of that. But I think another large factor is that you're, you're trying to be as employee-friendly as possible. You know, one of the things that you said, Mike, that I thought was particularly interesting, you said, well, you know, by, by the end of the evenings, you know, people, you know, people went to, to the movies. The, one of the biggest days, if not the biggest day of the year for movie theaters, at, at least pre-pandemic, it's Christmas night. And and it, it's always been interesting to me, but I, I think it's... <laughs> I think there, there's some of this factor. Okay, you know, you, you've had the run-up to Christmas. You've had Christmas Eve. You've had, you know, Christmas Day where you go to church or whatever, and you know, Santa comes and you open all the packages and stuff, and then you clean everything up and you have Christmas dinner. And then I, I think a lot of times what, what happens is, okay, people – People have had enough. It's like, okay, let's get out of the house. And that's why, at least historically, if you look at, like, the opening of the big, giant blockbuster movies, it's Christmas Day. That That's where they – because Christmas Eve is a huge, you know, turnout. But it's always been understood if you work in the theater industry. I mean, if you're going to – if you're going to work at movie theaters – you know that that's that's a big day for you, and you know that you're going to have to work. Just like, 
I don't mean there, there's other days. If you work at a, a restaurant, for example, that does a huge holiday buffet, you know that you're going to have to work on, on Thanksgiving. It's just one of those things that, that's cooked in, even though it might not necessarily be employee friendly. But I do think this, I, I think this decision is driven in large part just because of staffing needs. Uh, let's go to a couple of texts here. Jeff, I think it's a good idea to be closed. Bring back our old values. When I was a kid, everything was closed. I think families need to get back to their old ways again, that being togetherness. Um, Jeff, I think it's a good idea. However, call me a skeptic because I think it has to do more with the difficulties of hiring enough employees than it does with celebrating the holidays. Yeah, like I just said, I, I agree completely. Um, they should be closed on Thanksgiving because giving employees time to be with their families, uh, they've got people have 364 other days to shop. Um, Jeff, hack off your employees before the biggest shopping day of the year when it's hard to find employees. Gee, you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? Jeff, part of it is we don't need Black Friday deals anymore with online shopping deals available all the time. That is the, that's an interesting dynamic that's out there. So the question is, even, even if we close on Thanksgiving, First of all, that doesn't mean that people aren't going to be shopping. People are going to be on their computers and they're going to be ordering stuff if they choose to do it. It just means that you don't necessarily have to go to the store. Um, there, there's no question about it. Um, and I, I just so I wonder if Black Friday, even if we return to that, will Black Friday ever be the same as it was several years ago? And the answer is to that is obviously no, because shopping isn't the same as it was several years ago. I mean, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Amazon wasn't the presence that it is now. And, and nowadays, you don't have to go to stores to physically purchase stuff. You can sit on your computer and you can buy things. Will there be people that go out? Will there be people that search the deals? Of course, but it's not necessarily going to be the same. But nevertheless, I, I think, I, I guess... I agree. I understand why the pharmacies and stuff are open because they serve it's a different need. You're not you're not doing Christmas shopping necessarily at the CVS or the Walgreens store. They're open in general because again they they serve health needs and things like that. I get that. Um Costco, Sam's Club, Walmart, Target, all those things. I, I think the world can live with them being closed on Thanksgiving Day and at least this year most of them are gonna be. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.